It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. And basketball time to go. Love picks up Curry. The Shootaround. Hi, everyone. We're back with the rest of our in-depth interview with Fear the Sword writer Jackson Flickinger. We hope you enjoy the remainder of what we discussed. Be sure to do him a solid and follow him on Twitter. As a club, it's important that we support one another. Speaking of support, our podcast has really grown in the last month, and we're truly grateful to all of you who have subscribed. Also, make sure to stay tuned after the rest of the interview as we react to the Cavs' two preseason games against Philly, plus a few other things we're excited about leading into the season. So is there a player that you believe will be a surprise contributor this season? You know, you hear the talk out of camp like, Okoro's taking a step forward. Levert's more comfortable in his role. This is the year Dylan Windler's actually healthy, and he's going to be able to put it all together. Dean Wade, you know, just got a contract. Maybe it's him. I don't know. If I had to say somebody would be a surprise contributor, I think I would lean Isaac Okoro just because he is on the younger side still. He has shown growth every year. He hasn't shown growth in the ways that many Cavs fans would want, and understandably so. His offensive game was limited. They were very uncreative about ways that they got him the ball and the ways they used him on the floor. So I certainly understand people's trepidation with that. But if he can take a step forward defensively, he appears bigger in camp. If he's able to guard wings and he's able to get just slightly better offensively, it should be an okay fit, considering he's going to be playing a lot of minutes with Garland and Mitchell, which is a lot different than playing with just Garland. So I would say Okoro, just because I think they need a lower usage guy on the wing. Like, I think Levert's a better player, but he's not as clean of a fit next to Garland and Mitchell. You know, Levert generates a lot of his offense off the dribble himself, which is Great, but not something that you want to do when you have someone like Garland and Mitchell out there. So I think Okoro would, is going to be that guy. If I had a second person, I would say Dean Wade, somebody who got the Cavs turned to in the starting role, somebody who can guard wings at the beginning of first quarter and third quarter, someone who can provide some offensive spacing. So those would be my two answers there. Yeah, I think we've had similar thoughts about who could possibly step up. When you look at all of the options on this team, you could point to four or five guys. I even think that Jetty could finally step up and play that bigger role that they've been hoping that he would. We have a lot of love for Jetty as well, even though we do kind of pick on him. Jetty would fit, theoretically, he fits so well with this team. He's somebody who takes over 60% of his shots from behind the three-point line. He's comfortable taking catch-and-shoot threes. He's someone comfortable taking pull-up threes even. Um, And he would fit really well with two other high-usage guards. The problem is defensive effort, ability to defend in general, and that's kind of not what you 
probably want with Mitchell out there, depending on, you know, Garland and, and Mitchell. Um, so, like, the best version of Jetty would be perfect, and I hope we see that because we see it for, like, three weeks at a time, and there was this, there was a nice stretch last season where it was like, oh, wow, like, take take Larry out of here and let's put Jetty in there because he's, you know, he's the one making things happen, but keeping that consistent effort over 82 games for whatever reason has been an issue, unfortunately. And when I stop and think about a surprise contributor, that's kind of the thing that is the most exciting about a team like this to me, that you're talking about, well, yeah, it'd be nice if Jetty could come off the bench and hit some big threes when we need him to. Because really, I always say there's only so much basketball to go around. There's only so many shots every game. We kind of have that covered right now. Okuro doesn't need to have that much of an offensive game. He could be penciled back into the three spot and just do what he did his rookie year and just be a high-efficiency defender there and hopefully develop somewhat of a three-point shot because we need him to. But otherwise, yeah, you don't need everybody in your starting five to be able to shoot the ball. So, Right. I think the, the Wade angle, I know the team is kind of pressing on him and kind of touting him as an option. And I'm really curious about that because of the fact that Lowry is gone if there's a level of the team trying to set up expectation of saying, hey, here's a guy who's 6'9", 6'10", that's going to start some games because it provides us that size. And Wade does have a good or a solid offensive game and can contribute, but he's never played with this type of dynamic team before. He's never done that. I'd just be curious to see how everything shook out with his play on the floor. I don't think it would be bad. I just think that I could see an instance where he's having a little bit of issues that Isaac had last year because Isaac started more. I think that there were times when the pressure was just, it was on him too much. I kind of agree with that idea of, well, if Isaac does progress, he has progressed every year. The hope would be that he keeps progressing even a little bit more would be a nice, helpful surprise. And he should be better they played the jazz sometime last year and it was the most glaring example of it where they just put gobert on isaac and just basically <laughs> said like okay you can do whatever you want gobert is just going to be able to just mess everything up by standing in the middle and not paying attention to you and then isaac wasn't able to make them pay his best thing is pump fake drive gobert's not jumping Gobert's going to meet you at the rim. You're not going to finish that. But when you add somebody else like Mitchell, can you do that the same way? Like, well, you can always hide a Gobert type person. But it just becomes a lot more complicated when you have dynamic guys who can score off the dribble on the perimeter. Like, he's in such a better position to succeed offensively, even if he doesn't show any growth, just because of the position that he's in. In the same way with whoever starts the three. You know, they should be in a much better position to really do what they do best and provide offensively, but also stay out of the way of Garland, Mitchell, Mobley, Allen, you know. So, yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Obviously, the three is super important. We understand having a wing is incredibly important. We've had one of the greatest wings of all time play for the Cavs. At the same time, a lot of discussion that I'm hearing is... Well, the Cavs have four really good players, but they don't have that fifth starter. I don't pay attention to a lot of other teams. Jackson, obviously you write a lot more, so you might notice. Does every team have a starting five every night that is like 
bar none, that's their starting five? Or am I missing something? Is it is it basically, is it a little bit of hot air to just be like, well, they don't have that fifth starter, so who knows? The Cavs are just built in a different way from other teams. The Cavs have three all-stars on their team, but they don't have any consensus players inside the top 20. Mitchell is always, you know, if you look at these lists from the last couple of years, this year, he's always like on the periphery of that, maybe, you know, getting in there at like 16, 17. It's kind of a weird position where they should be good. They have a lot of great players. Like I think Mobley could be the best among the group and he's not one of the three all-stars. So it's like, yeah, they're, they have really high-level players, but they don't have the high-level player, which just makes it kind of weird that we don't really have, like, a comparison point to really say, oh, yeah, you know, you can make it work if you only have a small forward that probably wouldn't be starting on 20 other teams. You know, it's like everybody points to that 2005 Pistons team, like, oh, yeah, they, they didn't have any superstars. It was just five great players. And it's like you see teams like that come along, every every once in a while but you don't see teams come along with four really good players but no superstars and then a fifth guy who's just probably not a starting caliber player i think it's a little overblown but it's also like well it's just not something we've seen before but the Cavs have made it their thing to do things that nobody's seen before they were doing the three big man lineup, it more comes down to how are they going to end games as opposed to how they're going to start games. Because they're going to start a game, they're going to start games with a wing. But it's like when we get down to the end of games and Rubio's back, Rubio's one of your five best players. Are they going to try to sneak out lineups where you have Rubio, Garland, Mitchell, and Mobley Allen back there? Is that something that they're going to be able to do? So like that conversation, I think, is a little more interesting to me because that's like you're never going to start that that lineup but that's something that we could see and we saw that a little bit at the beginning of last season a few times they ran out rubio garland sexton the close games and i don't think that worked very well they were putting sexton in a role that he really wasn't familiar with and needed to grow into and that was never able to do that unfortunately that conversation i think is a little more interesting to me as opposed to like who's the fifth starter because i'm not sure if you get into these big games how often is someone like Wade or someone like Okoro, how many times is he actually closing? I think you're going to probably just kind of go with the hot hand of Olavert's playing good. He's going to close this one. Rubio's going to be closing games against maybe smaller teams if they're playing a team like the Bulls. He'd be a perfect closer. You know, I think that's where it's going to get interesting is to see how JB plays that game within the game. So with the season just around the corner, we just wanted to kind of pin you down and ask for your Cavs prediction for the season. What do you think their win total will be for this year? I think they're going to be 51 and 31. I think they're going to get over the 50 game hurdle. They were on pace. I wrote this, I wrote this recently. I'm pretty sure they were on pace <laughs> for like 50. 253 yeah. wins. You, yeah, you did. Uh, it was 53. Yeah, in games that Garland, Garland, Mobley, Allen played, they were on pace for 53 wins. Obviously, you can't just say, oh, well, they're going to be healthy all year. Mobley's already hurt with a slight ankle sprain. So it's like, yeah, it's unrealistic to think that, yeah, they're all going to be there. But when you add in Mitchell, he's a very good postseason player and someone who will really help in the postseason. But he's also someone who can just get out, like go out there and steal wins. If you have someone like him, he goes off for 35 one night. 
that's a win. And that's not somebody they've had last year. So if you can keep three of the four guys on the court for 70 plus games, this is a really good team and they're going to get a lot of wins. It's a really tough Eastern Conference. If they won 48, 49 games, I wouldn't be too surprised, but also wouldn't be too surprised if they won 53 games either. You have four really good players. They just need health, which everybody needs, and they just need to get that continuity together. And I think they have a really good base. You think about LeBron's first year back in 2015. They got off to a 19-20 and 20 start. Things weren't going well, but they were trying to mesh a lot of guys in there. That never played together before. Kyrie never played with LeBron. LeBron never played with Love. There was just a whole new team. This is not a whole new team. This is just one new player. And I think the familiarity between the rest of the team is going to help Mitchell come along a little faster. So I believe this could be a 51 team. That's kind of our thinking as well, barring injury or any kind of weird uh, player chemistry or you know stuff that you just can't predict. If if we had the Gray Sports Almanac, then we would know. But uh, unfortunately, we don't. So, Real quick, Jackson, thank you again for coming on. This interview has been great. As we mentioned at the top, this was our first one. So I hope you enjoyed being the inaugural person. And I just wanted to give you a chance to, to shout out anything that you're working on. Obviously, you mentioned Fear of the Sword, but are there any other projects and where folks can follow you online? Just Fear the Sword, that's where all my cast stuff's going to be. Should have some charge stuff coming when they get the season going. So it'll be fun to see how Isaiah Mobley progresses there. So follow along there. You can follow me on Twitter at Akron underscore Jackson on Twitter. I don't think I'm a great Twitter follow, but, you know, if you're bored, I guess, <laughs> um, follow follow me there. Um, but, yeah, just uh, check out fearthesword.com. The Cavs opened up the preseason with two losses against the 76ers. What trends are you seeing from the games that might carry over into the regular season? So I think something nobody is going to be surprised by is we saw that Mitchell and Garland are the offensive initiators. When Garland leaves the floor, Mitchell will stay on longer and sub in for him or vice versa. So JB really is staying to his word that he wants one of those guys always on the floor to initiate this offense, which I found interesting because it did lead to some bumps and bruises offensively. They had a decent amount of turnovers in the most recent Philly game. They only made five three-pointers as a team. So they're definitely working out some corks. Some other things I kind of noticed that I think will continue as trends. Mitchell isn't as productive as we want him to be, but he is an offensive talent. He's something that we really have not had on this team in a while. His alley-oop dunk that he had in the most recent Philly game in Cleveland was just phenomenal, and it was just Garland and him connecting. I feel like we'll keep seeing that throughout the season. His athleticism, his power, and his attacking ability on offense has already been on display so far, which I find really cool to see, but at the same time, I wish it, he was just a little more productive. It's the preseason, so you know you always take this stuff with a grain of salt. Allen and Garland both played over 30 minutes 
in the most recent game. They didn't even barely hit 20 in the first preseason game. JB is making sure that he's ramping up the season, ramping up for how everybody needs to be aggressive, but he wants to make sure that everybody stays relatively healthy because he clearly remembers what the previous seasons have been like for the Cavs. Once everybody is stay healthy, but fit at the same time. And then the last little thing I'll mention is Lamar Stevens is basically playing garbage minutes. I felt like he had a chance to kind of be further along in his development. I thought he would be further along in the rotation. And we're seeing Robin Lopez get on the floor before him. We're seeing Neto get on the floor before him. So I'm just kind of curious to see what that means for the rest of the season. What actually is going to happen with Lamar? I think that if the Cavs are smart, they're going to have an established role for him. But I really am hoping that the minutes and the time he's getting minutes really isn't going to show us something of what's going to happen for the rest of the regular season. I'm hoping he gets more meaningful minutes during the regular season as opposed to what he's getting right now. Well, all great points. I think that obviously we know that Mitchell is a freak of nature. He's that athletic excellence, that piece that you were hoping that Sexton could be, that obviously he's proven for the last five years in Utah. So it was pretty, it's been nice to see him step into the role and kind of fill that that need immediately. I, I haven't seen any kind of hiccup to him joining and becoming that two guard on a team that um, really was missing that role anyway last year, which is what I brought up um, last episode with Jackson, that to me, penciling in Mitchell with for Sexton makes a lot more sense to the idea that the Cavs can be successful right away because they not only were already thinking about generating an offense with two high-powered guards, they were waiting kind of in anticipation last season to do so and couldn't because of Sexton's injury. So... If anything, adding a piece like Mitchell, given that he is probably 20% better at everything the way that Jackson described, we're already seeing that even just in preseason games. And granted, yes, the second game was a little bit underwhelming considering they came out and underperformed in the first quarter. And I believe he, I don't even think Mitchell scored in the first quarter. I think that was an indication of why you saw added minutes to some of the players for game two. This year, I think a huge part of what is going to extend from last season into this season is, a, is all about accountability. And I think that playing these guys extra minutes, even just in a preseason game, was them holding them accountable for starting the game so weak, especially for it being the first outing at home. So I was just kind of happy to see that they put their best foot forward to make up for that poor of a start. And, um, and really, it kind of showcased more of Allen's abilities. He ended up with 19 points. Overall, they shot 42% from the three-point line for both games. I think that's very interesting. As a team, we know what the Cavs did last year. If they can get hot from the three and then stay consistent in that way as a team for the season, then we're going deep into the playoffs. This is just going to be a plus 51 team end of story. And I've already seen Mitchell hit some impressive shots from the outside. I think that's him trying to quiet the naysayers immediately. Like, okay, I can steal the ball. I can shoot the ball. Everybody just 
let's give it a break. He's even had a couple of defensive stops that I don't think anybody was looking for that in the first two games. I agree with you about Lamar Stevens. I think it's intriguing that they're, they've got him out there. He's averaged about 12 minutes for both games. So at least we know he's going to be one of those guys that got a pencil in there when they need filler. Hopefully he'll take advantage of those opportunities he has in other seasons. They know what they have in Lamar. Right now, I'm just kind of seeing them play it like a team does in the preseason when you know you have a lot of games ahead of you. There's no reason for you to kind of show all of your cards now. With the amount of injuries, which we'll talk soon, with the amount of injuries that have come up all of a sudden to start the year, I think they're just trying to play it safe and yet at the same time not bore the fan base in this early stage of the season. The final seconds. The Cavs are sticking with the let him no catchphrase for this season. Thoughts? I love it. You and I talked about this last season. I'm glad that they're keeping in the same mantra. As JB said during media day, the Cavs really haven't proven anything. They are a young up-and-coming team, but they were in the plan, and they didn't even win in the plan. So I love that they're sticking with let them know. You? I think it's a very clever catchphrase. I've got it right behind me. It's right there. Let them know. If anybody that watches our podcast doesn't just listen to it. It's been something that when I went to the opening game last year and they had all those shirts on all the, the seats, I don't normally care about that. But I thought it was a great catchphrase for what they were trying to achieve last season. Most people did not know how good the Cavs could be. And it, it was only due to that pesky injury bug we keep hitting that people didn't really see the full potential of this team. And even though they had the success that they had, it's still not enough to kind of prove what is capable. And now that they've added the pieces that they had for this season, yeah, it's it's even more appropriate. But this is probably the final season that it makes sense to use it. Because I think after this year, everyone absolutely knows. There are four injured players already this preseason. Wade, Love, Windler, and Mobley. Are we already cursed? I don't really know. I think that obviously strength and conditioning matters. Certainly what these players eat and what they drink and the elevation that they live at and all of these things, the wear and tear they put on their bodies during the off season and the regular season. All of these things certainly should be under consideration. But in a league that now is far less physical than it's ever been in its history, the idea that guys are going down all the time, I think on the one hand we can hope that it's just preseason precautions and that these guys are really not all that hurt. But just being bit as often as we've been as Cavs fans, it's tough to see the injury list continue to pile up like this, especially when a guy like Mobley's on there. Please don't do this to me again. Yeah, I'm I'm hopeful that it is just preseason precaution. I do definitely feel that's what it is with Mobley and even Love just because Love was at practice the day after the preseason game. So it seems like Love really understands what his body needs to do in in respect to recovery and everything a lot better than he did in previous seasons where he had constant nagging injuries that took him out for over half the season. The one guy I think is just snake-bitten is Windler because people talked about him during media day. I don't know what it is. I think that John Beeline 
worked him into the ground during the summer league the his rookie year and he just hasn't been able to recover i'm hopeful that that's not the case but it's really i'm sure very frustrating for him Karis Levert's star is rising with rumors he's edging out Okoro for the third spot. Is this a good idea overall? I'm not really sure about this. I think that it's encouraging that Levert is sold, but I still don't think that he has the defensive upside that Okoro does. I do think that he's a better passer because he's able to be a little more agile with the ball. His handle is clearly better than Isaac's. At the same time, I could still see where it's somewhat matchup dependent with what the Cavs are doing that night. And I'm very curious to see how Levert reacts to that because he's a veteran versus Isaac, who I think is pretty much bought in no matter what. Isaac knows he's going to get a big chunk of minutes because he can truly be a point of attack defender. And Levert is maybe a solid defender on any given night. Yeah, I agree. Again, I said this in the last episode. I'll say it again. I don't understand why you need the type of offensive power that Levert might provide to you in the starting five. Because you have Allen, Mobley, Garland, and Mitchell there. That's plenty of people who can give you 20, 30 a night, possibly, depending on who you were talking about. You really need that... fifth person and in this case in the three spot most likely to be able to shore up defensively what maybe Mitchell can't do or having a smaller backcourt will provide those kinds of issues we've seen it in other seasons with the Sexton and Garland pairing so we know that's why they went larger for the front court but they still need to have a, a decent defender at the three and Levert to me is a great six-man option he's a great high energy scorer off the bench, somebody that's going to keep momentum during the games for you when the starting five is out or the rotations are wonky. But I really have a hard time picturing him in the starting five. And if he ends up there and it works out, great. But everything I've seen of his career so far and what he did for the Cavs last year, I really have a hard time seeing it. Chris Feeder believes the starting small forward spot is between Wade and Okoro. Who do you want? We were not going to cover this because we were thankful we're not Warriors fans and we don't have to deal with Draymond Green and all that stuff. But of course, Richard Jefferson decided to come out and spill the tea about the Cavs. That surprise, surprise, this is a common problem in practices across the NBA. It has been going on for decades. As a former Bulls fan, when I was a kid growing up, I didn't hear about it at the time. But of course, I know that Michael Jordan punched Steve Kerr. I understand that These guys get really heated, and a big part of the game that we don't get to see and hear from an audience perspective at home is the trash talking that goes into the NBA's experience, and that extends over into practices. And so when they trash talk each other, they they talk about each other's mothers or whatever it is, and before you know it, uh, it's heated. They're early 20s to mid 20s to late 20s to early 30s guys and that's still high testosterone high levels of energy all that stuff so to put all of that into context yeah i get it i get why sometimes there's blow-ups and typically videos of this stuff makes it look a lot worse than what it was because it's just a microcosm of, of that moment i don't know 
if it does a ton of help for somebody to just say, yeah, I had that happen, but I'm not going to tell you who did it. I'm not going to say why, but it definitely did happen. You know, that's the one part of me that's like, okay, but it should really be people that actually were involved agreeing to come out and talk about it in, in a greater context rather than just saying, yeah, it happened and, you know, it happened to this team, so let it go. There's a lot of excusing away right now of the behavior itself. And I think both things can exist at the same time, that heated things happen, but also it's not right. You shouldn't do it. You and I were kind of discussing it in the past. And, you know, the most famous altercation in practices that we're aware of in the NBA is Jordan hitting Kerr. That's bringing up Michael Jordan, who is arguably, not even arguably, he is the greatest player of all time. And if you watch The Last Dance, he's possibly one of the most paranoid athletes of all time. He needed something to always drive him. So it could have been that Kerr didn't smile at him correctly, or he did smile at him. And all of a sudden, he needed that to fuel him the rest of the season. I think with this instance, especially with what Richard Jefferson is bringing up, it's a little bit of hot air because it's not the two guys who actually were in the altercation. We already know that the Cavs squad had issues because everybody talked about how when Channing Fry was brought in, everybody all of a sudden started getting along and singing Kumbaya. It's kind of old hat. We get that. We know that the Warriors have had issues because of Green. I think the big thing here is obviously the video getting leaked and getting out. So we saw the actual altercation. But also we know that whatever happened with the Cavs in that practice did not really show up on the floor. Where with Green, it does. Whoever got in that altercation on the floor or in practice with the Cavs we did not see multiple altercations with other players during the actual regular season. So that's the big difference here is Green already has a reputation for cheap shots, for doing things that other players aren't super happy about, and maybe some of those players are on his actual team. I just felt like Jefferson was trying to add something to the conversation but it really wasn't of any substance because you do respect his experience but it wasn't his actual experience because he couldn't reveal it so it just added more toward the espn echo chamber thank you for listening to the cavaliers basketball club podcast let's go Cavs.